Welcome on to week two of Hollinger and Duncan. We have much to discuss here on this first week. We want to talk about some of the rookies. We want to talk about the way the game is looking with the new rules and maybe talk about some uh, surprise teams, whether they're for real. John also went to check out the new operation of Overtime Elite, which I am desperately curious to hear about. And of course, we must rule a team out of the playoffs, sadly. Oh, yes. Yes, I'd forgotten about this. <laughs> uh, how, however, are we going to find a team? Uh, th- I, I wonder. I wonder who we'll pick. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it might be the last time we talk about them all year. So, well, there is actually one positive thing to talk about with uh, with the yes, as yet unnamed team that I think we will yes. both be ruling out of the playoffs. Yes, there uh, is. But I want to talk to you first about this overtime elite thing, actually, because I had big questions about how it was going to work. Can you just kind of summarize what it is for those who don't know? Sure. Overtime Elite is basically building an alternative to playing in the G League or playing in the NCAA for 16 to 18 year old prospects. Uh, it's a way for them to get paid uh, and prepare themselves for a career in basketball. And they've set up their entire operation out of Atlanta, where I live. So it was easy for me to go down there this weekend to their pro day. It was interesting because the scouts I talked to kind of when we were waiting there to go in had no idea what to expect. Like, is this going to be a complete shit show? Is this going to be totally professional? Is it going to be somewhere in between? Just no idea at all. I think uh, everyone walked away pretty impressed, but I'll get to that point in a minute. Uh, so Overtime Elite, like basically, you know, you've seen a lot of younger players signed to play for G League Elite, like Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga did last year, uh, or to go to Australia's Next Stars program, like LaMelo Ball did the year before. This is now another pathway that does not involve the NCAA. And the interesting part is that they are signing players who are a little bit younger, like they have have five players who are eligible for the 22 draft, but most of the players there are eligible for the 23 and 24 drafts. So basically high schools, juniors and seniors. No, that's really fascinating. So um, one of the things that I thought was so interesting about this model, number one, it seems like it's being run almost like a startup where they have a, a, a lot of almost like venture capital cash. Am I correct on that? I mean, there is clearly money behind this. So th- I think that part was impressive. They got a facility built in Atlanta in five months and it is professional practice courts. They have like an analytics staff. They have several coaches. They have trainers. Um, they have a whole educational component to, to it because these players are still school age. So they have actual classrooms inside the building. Uh, they have a, you know, a weight room and, and training area, uh, which I didn't get a look at it, but based on the description of the equipment in there, it sounded pretty similar to what we had in Memphis. You know what I mean? Like they, again, yeah. they pretty clearly spent some money on it and uh, j- just being in the gym, like you could tell a pretty significant investment was made and that they had their shit together. Like it was the, the day was completely organized and I've been to a lot of workouts where that certainly was not the case. Um, so I think everyone walked away from there with a much better impression than they had when they woke up on Saturday morning. 
Yeah. So it's basically, I, I think, it, you know, it sounds great, right? It sounds almost too good to be true for the kids. Like, hey, this is a professional environment. You're getting much better coaching and facilities than you would get in high school or AAU, which is kind of ad hoc. You're going to give that up, but you know, you're now getting paid as well. You can sign professional endorsements, but how are they going to make money? Like, why is it worth it for them? That's one of the questions that I have at this point. I know when I asked myself that question, and I thought about the Saturday Night Live skit with the change bank. I don't know if you've ever seen that where <laughs> the guy says, how do we make money? Volume. Because um, all they do is make change for people. Um, but anyway. Uh, yes. Yeah, st- step one, get the players. Step two, question mark. Yes. Yeah, step yeah. three, profit. That's it, pretty much what it is. They did announce just today they had a sponsorship deal with State Farm. Who knows how much money it's for. But again, there's a substantial investment here. So they need to get some real money to recoup that. I mean, they're paying these kids, uh, you know, may- maybe not what the G League is paying them, but th- there's a commitment to paying 35 players or whatever they have for multiple years, most of them. Their investment in coaches and personnel is significant. They probably had a one-to-one roughly student-teacher ratio when you went through all the staff. So right away, you're looking at this before you get even to the cost of building that that structure there in Atlanta or getting the land. Right away, you're looking at basically $10 million budget, right? So you got to get some significant uh, money coming in to offset that. So it's going to be interesting to me what the, what they do from a media rights perspective, because like the most logical thing for them would be to play games against G League Elite. But G League Elite is going to have absolutely no interest in doing that, right? Because they're, they're both going after the same pie and the, and the NBA wants all of it, of course. So what are they going to do? They've scheduled some some games against high school opponents, which I think are not maybe not really what the, uh, you know, what what scouts want to see or where the ultimate revenue lies. I'm kind of interested. Interested in the second half of the year, they're talking about playing overseas teams, especially like if you look at like FC Barcelona 2 or like, you know, yeah. Real Madrid 2, uh, Gran Canaria 2, where John Montero played last year and is now with Overtime Elite. Like those are the natural opponents for Overtime Elite. And so I'm, I'm interested to see if they can pull that off and if, if COVID is going to get in the way of that and screw up that too, like it did everything else for the last 18 months. But I digress. Um, the... Uh, the, but that question of monetizing it, I think, is a really interesting one. You know, this whole thing grew out of, I didn't realize it grew out of like a YouTube channel that was just doing highlights. So uh, they, they've definitely come a long way. But yeah, I mean, they, you know, I'm sure. I'm, how, I'm sure they will be, you know, they'll have a YouTube channel, they'll have documentaries, the, you know, they'll yeah. be trying to, a, a media blitz. But I guess what, what I don't really understand is just, it seems like this, they're not really going to be like playing a season. There's not enough players there for an entire league of competition within itself. So they need outside opponents. There's, I, I mean, it seems like these are all going to kind of be exhibition sort of games. Maybe they'll go and play some kind of a tournament or something that's manufactured against some overseas teams or, or whatever it is or you know maybe they'll play against you know the under 20 national team for some country or whatever that's trying to get ready for yeah the the, the under 20s in europe or something along those lines but yeah i mean that that's sort of just you know you have all this talent i think it sounds like a great way for players to develop other than the fact that the games are going to be a little bit ad hoc but it just it's kind of like as i if i'm just going to watch it as a fan which you need to make money uh even if nba does 
decision makers are very interested in it. I don't understand why fans are supposed to care other than just, well, here's where you see this guy on YouTube who's famous for some dunks play every once in a while. Yeah, that's absolutely going to be their biggest challenge is getting to the point where they're playing games that matter or have the perception of mattering. And that, you know, that that's the, ne- the next step for them, I think, because you're right, just YouTube videos of of split squad scrimmages are are not going to make up for their cost structure um and then also like these guys are not eligible now to play in college as well right so yeah yeah. so they got what 35 people in there not all of them are going to make the nba maybe some of them can play overseas somewhere but i would say some of them pretty clearly are not going to make the nba yeah um they do have a lot of good prospects there some of them are overseas players who will end up playing overseas almost certainly um, you know, and uh, some are from Latin America, actually, and, and if nothing else, we get a contract there. Uh, that I think they've emphasized the education component uh, in their recruiting uh, to 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 make the point that they can prepare people for a life after basketball if they end up not being good enough. I, th- I think that's been a big part of their sales pitch and something that they appear to be taking relatively seriously. So, but it, you're right. I mean, the the play if you're 16 and you sign with these guys, you're taking a risk because you you are ineligible for the NCAA now unless they change the rule. But I would presume they'll probably keep that in place because they don't want to compete with these guys. And you could potentially make money off name image likeness if you just waited a year or two. So that, that's going to be a challenge for them. Although I will say, I mean, they put together a pretty good class without having any anything to recruit to as far as like a, a campus visit type thing, right? Yeah. They, they, they didn't even know where they're going to be based out of you know for a while so to, to have this edifice now here and a and like a structure in place i think that's going to help them a lot this summer so it's really interesting to me what they're going to be able to do uh as far as recruiting within the next year or two yeah no this, this is really fascinating and their model of having you know over 30 players in there the g league ignite i thought made some sense where they said okay we're gonna have maybe five guys a year and then we'll and, and we're just gonna focus on them and uh you know i think everyone from g league ignite at least well i, I guess uh deshaun nixon get drafted but everyone at least you know is in the nba this year they're going to focus on players who you know seem like surefire nba prospects and then bring in these veterans around them bring in a, a pro coach and then they also have being able to play against g league competition a, as a, a natural foil which overtime elite doesn't have but overtime elite also is going for younger players as well i think a, a big part of it will just be how do these guys develop who gets drafted out of there because most of the guys uh this guy montero he's probably the best who's draft eligible in 2022 right yeah exactly so i think everyone kind of saw him foresaw him as a first round pick based on what he had done at basketball with without borders right before the pandemic hit and what he showed on saturday was yeah he's he's still that guy um so i i think he helped i think he i don't know if he helped his stock because it's tough to gauge the competition level when it's just inner squad image but he certainly didn't hurt himself like everything people thought he could do like he definitely did out there yeah so so it's that they didn't get of guys who are eligible in 2022 a ton of people but they're not going for they're going for guys who are still in high school who wouldn't have been eligible what's the quality of players that they have in the classes below the 2022 draft thought it was thought it was pretty good thought they had maybe three or four first round types in each class um so we'll see how these guys developed but um they they have two twin brothers out of uh, California, the Thompson twins. 
Um, shout out to my 80s music fans uh, who, uh, you know, they're both 6'10", crazy leapers, uh, need some work on their skill level, but you watch them and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that looks like a first round pick. Uh, there's a guard from South Carolina whose name escapes me, who is uh, very like long armed, athletic, kind of reminds you of Rajon Rondo. Uh, I think he's a first round pick. There's a kid from Florida from 2024, uh, Matt Bewley, uh, who also has a twin brother, Ryan, that's playing there too. Uh, I think both those guys are very interesting, kind of these bouncy Sean Marion types. Uh, and then, uh, there's a, there's another prospect, Tyler Smith, who looked really good. So that they, they got a lot of guys, uh, that, you know, they got, they got something definitely to sell between now and 24, even if they don't bring in anybody new. Yeah. I'm just really interested to see how this first season goes and who they end up playing. Obviously, the pandemic makes that well, they a little did, bit they, difficult. Yeah. They do have a, schedule of games uh, through March, but it looks like what they're trying to do is add some in March and April that play against these international sides. And and that's kind of been the holdup for them. Because, you know, they're going to have some like intra-squad stuff in Atlanta where, you know, scouts can come and I'm sure they'll televise it somehow. They're going to play in some of these tournaments against like, you know, the IMG academies of the world. But I think that only gets them so far. So yeah, I mean, putting together a schedule is actually one of the biggest challenges when you're the only operation doing this. Yeah. All right. Any, any other impressions that, that you want to talk about with Overtime Elite? Uh, I th- I think I pretty much emptied the clip here. I wrote a little bit about them for the Athletic this this week too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that probably sums it up. It's going to be really interesting to see how this evolves over the course of the year. No, I I will, I will be watching it as well, and uh, be interesting to check out the film uh, on players when they eventually become draft eligible. And yeah, it seems like the next inflection point will be for guys who. I mean, I guess once you've because guys could in theory go play for them for a year and then go to g league ignite or australia or something too if they wanted to absolutely right? I, I mean yeah well yeah. I, who knows maybe they, they maybe they make them sign a contract that they have to stay with them until the draft uh which would be that I, I would certainly want to do that but uh for when they're starting off maybe they didn't have the leverage to get that done yeah it depends if they had these guys signed for x number of years or for yeah or for until they're drafted all right let's get to work on this season what do you think of just how the game is looking so far um, I thought offensively, the numbers are down right now. And even relative to other early seasons, the numbers are down. And I think that's probably not that shocking in terms of the quick turnaround that we had from last year. And I think just a like, there, I don't know, there's some guys that just like still look tired out there, even though they had an off season, right? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, especially some, some older players. And I, you know, like you watch James Harden or Damian Lillard this week and you're like, what's, what's happening here? Like, is this just age or is there, is there something else at work here? Um, yeah. Well, both those guys were injured in the off season. I think that's important to remember too. Yeah. And I feel like also from a conditioning perspective, there's a lot. This is entirely subjective on my part. An unusual number of games to me have gone off the rails in the second quarter after pretty decent first quarters. I don't know if that's been your experience too. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess Knicks 
Sixers did that last night. I've like, actually like, sure, I've, surely went off the rails for one team, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're saying just in terms of like the quality, the quality of play more so than just that it's oh, one yeah. team was, yeah. was like killing yeah. the other one. Like the the okay. first the first New Orleans Minnesota game like turned into a Benny Hill skit. Yeah, uh, fortunately I was not uh, watching that one. So I, I've thought actually, I mean, of the games that I, that I've watched, I thought the quality has been relatively good. I mean, there have been some rough shooting nights at times, but I've just been been enjoying the fact that we haven't seen nearly as many bullshit fouls called and the refs to me are almost going overboard on that did you watch the video at the start of the year of like what the new rules and and points of emphasis were supposed to be on the non-basketball moves yes yeah so it seems to me like they're going even beyond that and Monty McCutcheon said rather ominously for your foul hunting grifters out there that they would continue to try to find ways to enforce non-basketball moves that weren't mentioned in the video and we're just seeing a lot of those the the field contact and throw some shit up even if it's the type of contact that's not necessarily verboten on the video yeah they're not getting that call right like even these you're supposed to still be able to kind of stop short uh as trey young likes to do because you're allowed to stop and shoot at any time and if you get run into that's a foul but dj augustin tried that last night and you know i'm not sure what they said hey there just wasn't any contact to begin with augustin certainly seemed to think that there was but they just didn't give him that call and so i think the refs are going even beyond this stuff yeah. where, like the take take the giant step in after the pump fake type of stuff that was on that video to just hey if you're barfing up a shot that you wouldn't normally take unless a guy is like about to just land on you after you pump fake we're just not going to give you the call and uh, i love it like it's just it's yeah. not if it's not a move that you would that is a legitimate attempt to score the basketball don't give him the foul call I, i'm good on that yeah. And now the next thing we have to do is oh, this God. plague of Eurofouls, which the re- it's, it's like actually, five a game now. Yeah. It's actually worse because because they're not calling these other bullshit fouls. It's taking longer for teams to get in the bonus. And so they look up and they're like, OK, you know, five minute mark. We have one foul. They're like, sure, I'll, I'll take this foul. Um, I, I also think, again, the conditioning is not great. So guys are like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to foul this guy. But uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's so alluring. I It's honestly shocking to me that it took this long to proliferate. Uh, yeah. I mean, perhaps maybe it was due to, you know, there actually being some sense of honor uh, that, that's <laughs> now out the window uh, because the analytics support, obviously, giving the, that Euro foul in transition. But it's like, ooh, I'm making the smart play and I don't have to run back. Fuck yeah. yeah right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I, if I were a player, I would I would love that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, Zach Lowe and Bontemps talked pretty extensively about that. I just I've never and they were had an interesting tidbit that part of the reason why it hasn't been fully eliminated yet is that the veteran players who are on the competition committee, I think Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry are on there. Like they don't want it taken out because they like doing it and they like showing how smart they are. Which uh, right. how about being a little less selfish there, guys? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we need, um, yeah, yeah. We, we need to get some less savvy players on the competition committee. Yeah, but it, I mean, it is showing in the numbers that fouls are down. Um, and fouls, as much as everyone complains about the number of bullshit fouls that were called, fouls have been on a massive decline basically since I started watching basketball. Going back to the 80s, there was a foul all the time because everyone was just shooting inside. And it was also much easier to get a foul call back then at the rim. Like if you go watch like an old Jordan game from the late 80s, specifically, 
specifically. Like, yes, you could foul someone hard and it wouldn't be a flagrant, but you also could just get a foul call on like pretty minimal contact. Like the verticality rules were not nearly as defined as they are today. So, uh, you know, Bill Ambeer was like kind of the guy who was starting to do that uh, and he would get away with it a little bit. But it was now, you know, if someone jumps straight up, they definitely err on the side of not calling that foul, which I I think is is great. So fouls are kind of at an all-time low, but they're down about two free throws per 100 shot attempts so far. Uh, Rebounding is the same. Turnovers are actually up by about a percentage from overall last year, although, as we know, offense is worse at the beginning of the season. So, uh, And then field goal percentage, e-field goal percentage is down by about 2%. Again, that's early, but it's been for the overall numbers last year, we're down about five points per 100 possessions, but down about 2.5 from the beginning of last year. So, and that's fine. I think it got a little out of hand here, personally. I agree with that. Yeah, it was it was tilting too much toward the offense. I, I agree with that. I'm surprised by the offensive rebound numbers. I really thought those were going to start trending back up. I, I mean, just anecdotally, I felt like more teams were talking about sending guys from the corners to the glass, uh, feeling like they were maybe leaving some money on the table. Uh, but it just, man, it just it hasn't played out that way. Um, and I guess, you know, the smaller teams play, the more these six, seven, three point guys, uh, you know, they're not, they're just not really inclined to crash. So, uh, they're just, they're just going to run, run back. So, but, uh, shout out to the Pelicans, our number one offensive rebound team right now. My guy, Jonas Valanciunas, mashing people under the basket. Fun stuff. Yeah. You know, I think it is interesting. I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on Toronto because they've gotten a ton of offensive rebounds so far without really that traditional mashing sort of center. And they may, but they have all this athleticism on the wing and so i i want to keep an eye on that and see whether you know they're really making a concerted effort to crash particularly when everyone is small now all of a sudden you know an og ananobi type of guy could be a really good offensive rebounder or a scotty barnes could be a really good offensive rebounder using their quickness to crash in and, and athleticism so yeah and, and the bucks utilized offensive rebounding to really kill teams at times in the playoffs last year so i'm i'm very curious to see if, if that changes but also just by virtue of where everyone stands these days on offense it's tougher to get offensive rebounds because you just if you're in a position to offensive rebound then you're kind of gumming up the spacing for your team absolutely yeah so that's uh that that that's one of the trade-offs these teams all face but i i guess i just i thought the pendulum would swing back and it just hasn't yeah well everyone's also terrified of transition because transition is more effective than, than it's ever been right now. well too. not when you can just euro foul like what are you afraid of yeah that's true right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't go, get the rebound, the, just get, take your Euro foul, right? Yeah, go for the offensive rebound, and then if you don't get it, just grab the guy. Um, yeah, I really hope that changes. All right, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about uh, whether surprise teams are for real, or do you want to talk about your rookie impressions over the first? Uh, let's let's talk about these rookies, because I haven't heard your thoughts on them. I've been really impressed by this crop. I think Evan no. Mobley has looked fantastic. I think Scotty Barnes looks really good. Uh, Josh Giddy has, has looked pretty solid. Uh, you look at, uh, uh, Jalen Green been pretty good. We haven't even seen Cade Cunningham, the top pick yet. Uh, but I'm really warming up to this rookie class. Davion Mitchell uh, with his defense, obviously. Uh, even like Moses Moody in Golden State got a couple cameos and threw a couple real nice passes. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot to like here. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And uh, don't worry, though. Cade is a mild ankle sprain, so he'll be back in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. This is this is rapidly turning into a uh, six 
Sixers slash Pelicans situation. Oh, man. Well, in any event, yeah, I think to me, Barnes and Giddy, neither of whom I was particularly high on, have both really impressed me. I'd say both of them are a little bit more athletic than I appreciated. I thought that Scotty Barnes was really not that athletic for the type of player that he was supposed to be. But, uh, you know, he's been more explosive around the basket than I thought. You know, the jumper, he's hit a few mid-rangers. He, he had some in that Celtics game, the 25-point game where, where he was really good. But he's just been doing a lot of damage around the basket so far. I still wonder about his fit, particularly when Siakam comes back, that their three-point shooting as a team, the Raptors, has been just unbelievably terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a little better against the Bulls on uh i guess that was monday but yeah i i've i've been impressed by him defensively i think he's been pretty close to what was advertised so i still you know you wonder about what he's going to be on a a team that's more conventional and that's better offensively and is he really going to limit your offense eventually but also you know if he can play some small ball center which i didn't necessarily think he was going to be able to do if he can do that and give you a little rim protection as well finish around the rim well enough to do that then i think he becomes a a much more viable proposition but also i think he's just he's a little bit better at the things that he was supposed to be good at than i appreciated as well and the weaknesses have haven't been as bad as i thought so yeah he's looking really good i still wonder you know are we gonna turn around two months from now and he's shooting 25 percent from three and the mid-range thing was kind of a mirage you know that's that's always a question right i mean you can only just go on what guys are looking like at this point in the season but certainly you can't ask for anything more than what he's done over the first week yeah it's that pretty much dovetails with my thoughts too he shot the ball from like 15 feet now a little better than i expected this early uh raptors have had pretty good success turning non-shooters into passable shooters yeah uh historically i mean certainly with siakam and nananobi they did and so that's going to be interesting to watch how they progress with scotty barnes yeah i also would say if you are playing the raptors have you know at least spend three minutes and shoot around going over how you might deal with them pressing you because oh my goodness the The end the end of that bulls game right and it was it was it was every game the last two years right like come on you know this is coming and you know they're gonna put like you know quickness and length out there they put barnes and ananobi like siakam isn't even playing right now but when those three are out there together like that's just team havoc so yeah you better be ready for that uh what have you seen from giddy that you've liked so far uh so I've I've not watched a ton of Oklahoma City. Uh, just Why not? For for my, for my own entertainment purposes, it hasn't really hasn't really come up as as like a must see. Uh, what I have seen is like he can really pass. Like he's looking off secondary defenders and and you know dropping passes that are cutting through the defense. Um, you know only to watch Isaiah Roby or whoever completely muff the layup. But the, yeah, that's a uh, or side or discussion. I mean he's thrown to uh, two point shooters on the weak side. Unfortunately, they're standing behind the three point line. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is team no shooting for sure. Uh, so, uh, he's, you know, the, the stuff you knew would translate was that he was big and that he was willing to throw his body around, around the glass, uh, defensively and like athleticism wise. I thought that was one of the big questions about him. And so far, it seems like he's like, he's good enough in that area. Um, like that, that's not going to be, that's not going to cause him to fail. Let's put it that way, w- would be the early take. Yeah. I think it's still interesting with him because you know, of who he's going to guard again. I, 
on a real team, right? And Barnes, it's less the case for him, but they Toronto is kind of still playing this this weird way with non traditional lineups and stuff. Uh, and Giddy as a six eight six nine point guard, you know, I think offensively it should work pretty well. His jumper to me has looked a little bit better than advertised. Although again, a, a guy who let's see what he's shooting from three three months from now. But you know, at yeah. least he's been willing to take it a little bit, sped up his release a little bit. It's been it's been going in. You know, I don't know if he's taken that many threes you know, off the dribble and pick and roll, but he's been able to get to the basket pretty well. Uh, his finishing and athleticism has been a little bit better than I thought it was. Although I didn't do a full scouting breakdown on him the the way I did some other guys. But yeah, again, you also just wonder. Part of the reason that I wasn't as high on both he and Barnes is you know what is their upside as far as fitting into a really high level a team because they're kind of unique players with uh, very discreet weaknesses that you don't necessarily find at their positions. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you build the team around them is a question. But again, as of right now, I don't know that you could have asked for anything more for him, could, especially considering that he's kind of been a, a little bit Peter principled as far as being like the number two offensive option on a team, which he's obviously <laughs> yeah, not ready definitely. for right now. <laughs> definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I you see, I was more partial to Barnes and Giddy because I think the, the thing you're always looking looking for is that big ball handling switchable wing um okay maybe in giddy's case less the switchable part but oh yeah no no teams will actually guys, be trying the, the other team will be trying to get him to switch onto them all the time yeah He's yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh so to, to me like the, the the chance that you ha- get that kind of player justifies the high draft pick uh you know much more than say a, a i don't know a random uh you know six four guard or a big right right no i I see that and yeah you know we haven't seen kaminga yet kaminga is not really going to have a chance i don't think to contribute at all this year he's raw i I thought that they should have gone kaminga over giddy but you know it's going to be two years before we really know the answer to that obviously you know giddy is going to have a much better season this year than kaminga who's probably barely going to play he's just getting back from that patellar strain now uh but i know you're champing play yeah he'll play for santa cruz but he'll play yeah yeah it's uh it'll be a nice uh hour and a half drive for me to, to go see him i'll probably get down there though um santa cruz man get as soon, as soon as you walk outside you get that contact high <laughs> so uh i know you're also champing at the bit to talk about mobile yeah man he looked good in, the, in that atlanta game i mean they played a 3-2 zone with mobley at the top and he was just everywhere, man. He's a pterodactyl, uh, really able to, he's long enough to be able to take away a three point shot without being that close to the shooter. And because of that, like he gives himself such a, such an opportunity to then close off a drive because he's, he's not directly on top of the shooter when he gets out to him. And he's, he's a really good rim protector, even this early, uh, still struggles with some with physicality. Offensively, you see like bits and pieces, but the whole package isn't quite there yet. I thought his post-ups have looked better than I expected, um, based on what I saw at USC, but the, biggest thing is just like his ability to like just just make plays in random uh and you know floaters when he gets a catch in the lane or making the next pass uh with when the when that arises i mean he had six assists in the memphis game so i i just think there's a lot there and i didn't think he was a guy who'd come blasting out of the gates his rookie year i thought he was more of a me me neither more more of a you know two three years down the line you're like oh crap this guy's really good and he surprised me with how early he's had success 
Yeah, how have you felt? How hard is he playing? Because that was kind of one of the questions about him in college. What What are your thoughts on that? Uh, that was one of the questions on him in college. I I have not jotted down any moments where I'm like, "What is this guy doing?" Um, right. And I, I don't I don't know how you felt watching him, but uh, like, have I seen him dive into the crowd for a loose ball? No, but I I haven't seen any moment where I'm like where I'm like, oh, like, hey, what are, <laughs> like, what are you doing there? Uh, which I, I've definitely seen from some other players this year. Yeah, and I've seen him make more aggressive efforts, like on closeouts, for example, than we might have seen in college. Because when he he generally is kind of a smooth guy who, you know, like you were saying, plays the angles really well. He's able to do it with an economy of movement. But when he really does try to move, when he really runs the floor, you know, I think maybe on a, on a better transition team, playing at center, getting him to really run the floor, Anthony Davis style, could be big. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, when he really covers ground to get out to the corner uh, on a closeout, like it's like, oh, this guy can really, really move. So yeah, I thought, you know, Cleveland was going to, they're playing him at the four next to Jared Allen. I thought they're going to start a Coro too. That was going to totally mess up their starting lineup. Now they're doing this marketing thing, which is not, I mean, it's not ideal, but at least you have enough shooting to be functional on offense, playing the two bigs together. Um, You know, I would like to see his jump shot get to be a little bit more of a weapon. I think he, he sort of, he doesn't really have a theory of when he's going to shoot the jumper and when he's not going to. He's sort of like, I guess I'll take the jumper this time. Like I, I, I'm open or, you yeah. know, sometimes he'll try to <laughs> yeah. drive and put it on the floor. His release is a little bit slow. So I, I think he's sort of, I, I don't think he want, sees himself as like a guy who's going to really bomb it from the outside. And, you know, being able to get to that point, I think would only help his pump and drive game. But yeah, his decision-making has been good. He's made a bunch of plays at the rim. So I, I think you got to be happy that he's a, ahead of schedule as well. Um, all right, how about some of these surprise teams? I think we got to start, obviously, with the Bulls here. The 4-0 and Chicago Bulls. Zach Levine, first four-game winning streak of his entire his career. His whole career. I could not. I, I was watching the game the other night, and they mentioned that on the broadcast, and I about fell out of my chair. That, that That's yeah. the most unbelievable stat of the whole year. Yeah, so uh, they are 4-0. and How much are you taking away? You, you and I were both low on them. I think you were even lower on them than me. Yeah. I picked them for 39 wins. Would you adjust that prediction now i would adjust it upward somewhat yeah uh they, they look more like a mid-40s team to me now because a they played great in preseason too uh which does have some statistical significance as far as predicting yeah. regular season yeah if you were if you were bad the year before it usually if you play well in preseason it can have some predictive value although a lot of that data goes back to when there were eight one two three four five six seven eight preseason games Remember yes. we used to have that? Oh Believe God. me, I remember. Yeah. I mean, having <laughs> was- a veteran team in Memphis where, they, I mean, these guys just knew these games didn't matter. And like, yeah, it was ridiculous. They'd, they'd come out and play hard for the first half of the first game. And then they're just looking at their watches for three weeks. Like, okay, when, you know, when do I get to play a game that matters? Yeah. Yeah. Uh- so so anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I do, and they still. I, I think their game against the Raptors was encouraging. I would say that's the first like real team that they've played. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, let's also keep in mind here, right? If I, if you had to ask, they're even given what our conception of them was coming in. If you had said before they started this four game stretch, all right, they're going to play two games against the Pistons without Cade, and they're going to play the Pelicans without Zion, and then they're going to play at the Raptors without Pascal Siakam. I would probably have guessed their record 
record would be three and one, even yeah, given what def- I thought they definitely. would be. So yeah. there is a there is clearly a strength of schedule adjustment needed for what the Bulls have done so far, and that that's about to be corrected in a big way. Their schedule gets a lot harder coming up. What's been notable to me. Uh, is their their second group has a lot of guys who maybe aren't named players and that when they when they come in they just um, they're not that good offensively but my goodness are they good defensively when they you talk about these guys like Javante Green uh, Troy Brown uh, Alize Johnson uh, Alex Caruso obviously I mean that 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 second group really makes it reminds me of like remember that Thibodeau team that his first year when they would come in with the second year unit with like Omera Sheik and Taj Gibson and yeah, Ronnie they, Brewer and yeah. they weren't any good offensively but like they would they would pl- either play you to a scoreless tie or beat you like 4-0 over 5 minutes right and and th- this this reminds me a lot of that group and so I, I think that's been a pleasant surprise so far. I think Lonzo Ball's generally looked pretty good. Uh, they're healthy right now, which obviously matters. Though the one thing you worry about with this team is that, I mean, they don't really have a backup five. And so if something happens to Vooch, I, I, I think there could be an issue there. But yeah, well, particularly with some of the guys that can't shoot on the perimeter that are, I mean, they've got Caruso, who's been a little more aggressive from three, but they know, got, still not they a got, guy. They got a lot yeah. of non-shooters on that team. And yeah. yeah, Vooch, I think Vooch makes a lot of this work with his ability to be such a pick and pop weapon that you can have a DeRozan out there and, a you know, that, I mean, Patrick, are we saying Patrick Williams can shoot or not? Do we know yet? <laughs> what, what is, uh, what is yeah, he, exactly? he's, he's been the one disappointment so far. He missed all of preseason, basically, with that that ankle injury. Um, yeah, so a, a few indicators here. They are 11th on offense and 4th on defense. 11th on offense is about where I thought they'd be. They're doing it in an odd way, though. They are 42% from 3, which you're like, okay, that's obviously going to come down here. Uh, you know, they don't have anyone that you look at other than Levine, who's established as you know 40% plus 3-point shooter. You mentioned the lack of shooting on the, the bench unit. Their volume from 3 is not high. Their location e-field goal percentage is is 18th in the NBA but they're also oddly shooting only 55% at the rim right now so that that's going to get better I don't think they're going to be 28th in shooting it at the rim but then on defense also uh they had been getting pretty lucky on three pointers and Toronto made 40% so they're pretty much middle of the pack there 34% uh the other thing though is they're forcing just a ridiculous number of turnovers they forcing yeah. like 17% turnover rate and you you think I mean obviously that's that would be like you know one of the greatest in NBA history so I don't think that's going to sustain but in general you expect them to be a good turnover forcing team I think so because the they they have so many guys like uh Ball Caruso Green uh Troy Brown like they have they have a lot of ball hawking guys so I could see them maintaining a high opponent turnover rate all year yeah now they are also only allowing 58 percent shooting at the rim which I don't think that's going to sustain I think that's a product of some of the teams that they're playing I don't see them as having like some unbelievable rim production and uh also they are 28th defensively in location e field goal percentages we were saying the same thing about the knicks last year but but the knicks 
uh, they had great rim protection. So it made sense that teams were shooting poorly at the rim. I don't think that's going to sustain for the Bulls. I think that's a product of just playing some pretty crappy teams so far. So we'll see. I mean, we're going to find out their next 12 games, I think, are all against pretty good teams. So we'll have a pretty good idea a month from now of whether these guys yeah. are for real. You know, I, I would say I would, might bump their win expectation up by a win or two, you know, to maybe be 500, maybe a little bit above as opposed to 39 wins. But I also, I can't quite buy it yet here uh on that i don't know if this second unit thing is going to continue to work against better teams for example yeah i'm i'm buying it partly because the preseason body of work was so strong that it if i feel like it gives me another data point yeah i mean at least they're crushing these bad teams right like that's yeah. that's you can get something from that still you know they're fourth in the league in net rating uh, any other early teams you wanted to talk about here uh, should we talk about Miami? Look pretty good, I'd, I would say, huh? Yeah, beat the tar out of Milwaukee. I mean, that was a weird game, uh, but still... I mean, they they looked really good doing it. I think Tyler Hero is a story here, right? Like he's been really good off the bench and didn't really have a great year last year. But uh, uh, can can I break in here? I I'm gonna pump the brakes a little bit on Hero because he hasn't taken a single shot at the rim yet, and he still never gets to the foul line. So he's got to continue, and he's I think he's shooting like 80 percent from mid range. Uh, that might have been before I looked at it, uh, or before their most recent game. But so. And, and they because they'd only played two games at that point but i've just, he's been better in the preseason he's shooting a lot of shots but he still is just so reliant on difficult jumpers going in and maybe that'll happen but if you don't get to the line and you don't get to the rim even if you're shooting half your shots from three and making 40 percent, you're not going to be like unbelievably efficient but the way their defense looks they don't need to be unbelievably efficient offensively yeah that's true hey tyler hero is shooting a hundred percent at the rim this year by the way oh, oh he got one <laughs> yes <laughs> of course According to basketball reference, at least. <laughs> okay, yeah, because yeah, he had not taken one. I, I hadn't checked after the Orlando game. Um, uh, he he might have two actually. He because they're they're three percent of his shots, and he's taken fifty eight. So. <laughs> Ah, good, good to know. Good to know. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but I think, you know, Kyle Lowry missed that one game against Indiana and they really struggled offensively. I think he is going to be an incredibly important piece for them as you know, he always has been in his stops. And so I think there, I would expect that, you know, they've, they're going to go through, show this gear early on, Men, maybe they kind of throttle down with Butler and Lowry, but I do not want to play these teams in the playoffs because I think they are going to be the best playoff defense. And that's, that's a great starting point to have. And, you know, they're getting decent play out of guys like Struess and you mentioned Hero. So uh, I, I'm uh, I'm optimistic on Miami. They look good so far. But, yeah, again, it's three games and they they yeah. haven't played anybody either the, because that Bucks team that they put out there was uh, was pretty miserable. The re- I still have questions about the regular season version of this Miami team, which is tough in the East because then if you end up sixth or seventh, now you're having to blast your way out through Milwaukee, Brooklyn, or, or Philly, right? And... Uh, you know, how many games is Jimmy Butler going to miss? Uh, how many games is Kyle Lowry going to miss? PJ Tucker working on back-to-back bagels, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> what's, what are they going to get from him? And then these second line guys on Miami, I mean, Hero's been excellent. He might win the six man award after that. I mean, it goes off the rails pretty fast there. So they're they're going to get. Although I mean, they do have some issues as far as the hard cap, but they're going to get some buyout guys, I think, because they'll they'll have it's Miami. They'll have playing time to offer as well. The the buyout market will be pretty interesting. But by then, they'll have played three quarters of their schedule. Like I I just don't think they're going to be able to get to a good enough 
seeding, you know, yeah, by true. You, yeah, their for, bench for with buyout season. guys in March. Yeah. I, I think I, if I'm then, as long as I avoid the play in, I think they're fine. I think they, uh, you know, they're probably going to have to beat both Brooklyn and Milwaukee anyway. As long as those are the top two seeds, I'm fine with being anywhere three to six if I'm Miami. I think they, they can go in and beat, you know, Boston or, or New York or something with those teams having home court. Charlotte. No <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about Charlotte? Uh, sure. Let's talk about Charlotte. Uh, I predicted bad things for this team, and they might still happen. Uh, they are fun as hell, if nothing else. And I think they are going to regret not extending Miles Bridges. It's looking that way so far. He's shown so much more off the dribble than expected. It hasn't necessarily been you know, that they're running plays for him, but when he's catching it against even a slightly scrambled defense, he's attacking, he's hitting some mid-rangers. They even posted him up a couple of times in that Boston game against smaller players. But yeah, I mean, he looks like he can actually you know if it's not entirely self-created he's able to attack off the dribble in ways that we haven't seen from him before the shooting continues to look really good for him also i thought maybe the 40 percent from three last year would regress he's obviously athletic he's a, a quality defensive player and yeah i mean who knows what the numbers were for him i mean there are rumors that he was looking for like over 20 million and i wouldn't have done that either although maybe if i had seen this in preseason i would have done it you know getting to see it like in practice every day but yeah yeah, he's uh if he keeps playing like this, I mean he'll have a max opportunity. I don't know if he's gonna necessarily get you know, he's not gonna keep this up averaging, you know, twenty five, thirty a game, but he, he could get to twenty the way he's playing. Yeah. What what are your thoughts on uh Kelly Oubre shooting thirty nine percent from three so far? <laughs> well, it's better than missing whatever it was his first twenty five with the Warriors last year. Um but yeah, I, I think Bridges and Lamelo looking pretty good. Lamelo hasn't done anything inside the arc. Uh, you know, you think he's got to really work on his finishing. His three point shooting has been really awesome, but that can't. I mean, he's not going to shoot fifty yeah. percent. Maybe he'll get to forty, which would obviously be really awesome. And his passing is good, but yeah, he, he's kind of he'll go into the lane and like try to extend the ball out, but he can't really palm it and kind of lose it on the way up a, a bunch of times. Yeah, um, it'd, it'd be nice if he drew a foul at some point too. Yeah, and that's uh, he's better at that than his his brother is at least, but. Um, the other concern that I had about them though is you know their top eight or nine is good, but you saw against Boston with Terry Rozier out and with PJ Washington out that then they got to kind of get into the Jalen McDaniels. He's actually been pretty good so far. Uh, they don't really have any kind of a backup center that they want to play. Although Nick Richards was not bad actually. Like I've always yeah. thought he could be he could be semi decent. A lot of people he's he's gone past Vernon Carey. Kai Jones is uh, buried on the end of the bench obviously. So he actually gave him good minutes against the Celtics, but still you wonder they they don't have much established Hayward is going to miss time obviously at some point too so I, I'm I they haven't changed my opinion on them that much other just than what Bridges has done that's the thing like if he keeps playing like this that you got to say that they're going to at least uh be solidly in the play-in mix yeah I, I think that's probably the thing that that shifts the equation the most from my perspective uh they're also extremely vulnerable at the center position uh with Plumley. they're only the only five that they trust and like I don't know it's I used the word trust loosely here. Yeah, he he's uh he's starting to get to be pretty bad on offense actually. Yeah, but and his then, defense has been better than expected. And then the PJ PJ Washington's first couple games were not good. Um. Okay, so we got uh, maybe about five minutes left here before we start taking some people from Twitter Spaces. So feel free to get those requests in now. I'll, I'll bring you in shortly. But uh, two other teams I wanted to talk about before we okay. do that that are surprises. Uh, the New York Knicks. 
Would you consider them to be a surprise uh, at three and one? I thought they'd be pretty good. So they've maybe been a little better than I expected so far. I mean, they won the overtime game, their first game, right? They lost at home to Orlando. Uh, Looked really good against Philly, certainly. Um, I don't know. I would say they're they're still kind of tracking right around where I expected them. Yeah, I, know. I think where, that. Where, where did you have them pegged coming in? Um, yeah, I think I had them for forty four wins. Yeah, so I, I might I might bump that up a little bit. I think you know Kemba has kind of been about as expected. He can't really do anything inside the arc anymore, but he gives them that three point shooting off the dribble. And Fournier, I think, has been really really good. He's he's you know there was maybe a thought that with the Celtics he didn't play well with them. Obviously, he had the COVID diagnosis early on in his tenure there uh, that maybe he wasn't going to be able to give them that much. But he's been a very good regular season player for a long time, and they don't have to ask him to do quite as much in New York as he did in Orlando. But the off the dribble three point shoot. And the off-screen three-point shooting just gives Tom Thibodeau more plays that he can run. You force the defense to defend in a different way. Like, you know, this the Hawks in that playoff series, they just had Clint Capella stand under, under the rim the whole series. And now, yeah. you know, if you got Kemba Walker or you got Fournier coming off a wide pin down, that big actually has to get out on the floor a little bit and deal with their guard. So I, I think that's a, been a huge difference. I think their defense hasn't really taken much of a step back so far either. Yeah, and uh, Obi Toppin, I think, is uh, turned into a legit player. Yeah. Uh, still want to see more of him at five. I, I just, I they played that lineup at the end of the Washington game in preseason, a game that both teams were actually trying to win, so it was somewhat meaningful data point. And just the way it opened up the floor for New York was just uh, in terms of speed and in terms of the amount of space that Washington had to cover uh, was, I mean, it just made them so much more dynamic offensively. I know there's a, there's a cost defensively to playing that way but man with the second uh, tom, group, tom thibodeau just turned off the podcast <laughs> yeah exactly if, if there's a cost defensively he doesn't want to hear it he's not he's not interested they did they did do it against boston i thought it looked pretty decent at times but i think Toppin played like 28 minutes which has got to be a career high for him in a real game but mm-hmm. uh now that taj is back i think it's and nerlands is close i don't think we're gonna see much of that yeah that's too bad <laughs> uh how about the warriors and the the way i want to ask this question is do you would you give them any kind of a shot at coming out of the west based on what you've seen in the first four games uh still probably not um i i I don't know i just i just don't i just never saw them as that level of team coming into this year uh they're they're a little better than i thought um how how so uh just watching them these first few games like i i picked them to finish ninth i want to say in the west I think they're going to be better than that. I think their their bench is really playing out to be a pretty significant strength. Uh, you know, Poole was awesome in preseason. Hasn't really gotten going yet in these first four games. Yeah. He's, and, he's had two decent games and two just complete stinkers. Yeah. And yet, like, just having another guard who can actually create and isn't, you know, like Brad Wanamaker checking in for Steph Curry. You know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. think that makes a real difference for them that just you have to, you know, there's there's just a lot more for other teams to think about and have to defend. Uh, so. I, you know, they are going to get Clay back at some point and we'll see what kind of shape he's in. But I, I just, they're able to go 10 deep with guys who actually belong on the floor. Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. What do you think about Kevon Looney? I, like, yeah, I, I feel like he's a, he's a placeholder, right? But yeah, he's, he's a, I'll be nice and I'll say that I think he's a quality defensive center. 
Okay, fair, fair. But, so, but he's kind of he's starting to uh, verge on Irvin Johnson territory on the <laughs> offensive end, and uh, not not the good Irvin Johnson. Irvin, 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 tragic Johnson of of Sonic Spain. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, he's really struggling to score on the rim. He's he's getting the Keith Bogans most nights. Yeah, th- their backup center situation on the second unit is interesting because it looked like Bielitsa was going to be the guy there, but he's kind of had his minutes reduced lately in a small game he actually doesn't work as well i think he works better against bigger players yeah and abs- then, absolutely yeah yeah you yeah, could see which which team was it was it the clippers that just like went after him like play after yeah. play and they just had to take him out yeah i mean when he gets out in space uh, I, he, it's trouble i think he can actually fight his way around enough against bigger teams that then his offense can come into play uh so they're going with juan toscano anderson as the backup center now at times i guess that'll be wiseman's spot of eventually so that that'll be something to watch you know i don't know that they've quite found the formula yet without staff but I, i'm interested to see i mean they've got this big homestand now you know they could easily get to you know 10 and 3 or something uh which is which would be a nice start for them you know i don't expect them to blast to the one seed or anything like that but i think that they particularly with nobody else in the west looking unbelievable right now and i think they have some schematic advantages against utah i've i'm not ruling out the the idea that they could come out of the west i just don't think that there's anybody that totally scares them uh, in the western conference you know maybe if the lakers get there like russ looked a lot better last night i still mm-hmm. think the lakers will will be that team uh once they can get everyone healthy again we'll do uh we'll do time to panic next week obviously uh, yeah but uh, you know i'm not ready to panic yet uh, on the lakers we'll see what happens over the next week though hopefully we'll they can come up yeah um big, big yeah. thing for the warriors i mean sixth in offense right now they were 20th last year even with Steph going bananas so I, I think it just shows they, they just have a much more diversified attack this year yeah uh, you know who else I'm a little high on I don't think we have time to talk about it liking what I'm seeing from the Grizz so far yeah I agree with J- that yeah John ja, ja Moran is looking like an absolute monster I, you know yeah. he's hitting the three which I don't know if that's gonna continue yeah Grizz right now first in offense and 30th on defense yeah they, they, they've been some wild games man it's 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 yeah. really weird to see they were the number six defense last season but yeah. uh yeah and uh do, doing it without uh without dylan brooks in the lineup and uh that one other injury too i can't i can't i'm, I'm forgetting the name um so yeah it's a good start for them um all right let's uh let's get some requests in here if hey you uh wait 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 jump. yeah what Sorry. don't we have to eliminate a team from the oh, playoffs yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. I I know you love this, so uh, I'll let you go first. If I thought you were champing at the bit to talk about Mobley, that's nothing compared to this. <laughs> Who should I eliminate from the playoffs? What team could I draw an X through at this point? Um, some things you might look at would be a lack of wins. Uh, you know, uh, a, a net rating of negative 18 or worse, let's say. Um, and uh, a... a a generally fairly hopeless look, looking roster. So let's see who would that who would that leave us with? Uh, uh, okay, probably either Milwaukee or Oklahoma City, right? One or the other. Um, okay, I'm gonna go with Oklahoma City. I'm gonna eliminate them. Uh, yeah, the the team that is uh, not only do they have a negative 21 net rating on cleaning the glass, which is 30th in the NBA, they have underperformed their point spread by minus 9.4 per game <laughs> uh 29th on offense 
uh, and 28th on defense. So I'm going to go ahead and rule them out of the playoffs uh, as well. Uh, It's just, what do you think of the way they're going about doing this at this point? Is this just, is this just too ridiculous? Should they have like tried to sign some veterans to be even semi-respectable or should they? Yeah. I thought they wouldn't have hurt themselves much going the Detroit mode and signing a couple of respectable guys so that the other young players could play real basketball and kind of have a more legitimate organic development experience. And it seems like other than Mike Muscala, who I, I, I don't know why they love him so much, but uh, well, I, 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 he, he shoots the ball like he spreads yeah. the floor for their guys. They, no, they mean, look their best when he's out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's fine. But like, yeah, um, you know, they haven't they haven't really done that. And they've even kind of gone overboard on like bringing in additional bad players to supplement the original bad players like the, the rush to bring over Teo Maladon and Vit Kreshi uh, kind of boggles my mind versus letting them develop in Europe and not using the roster spot on them right now and bringing them over at a time in the future when you need inexpensive players, which which hopefully will happen if, if your plan goes the way you want it. Yeah. So I mean, most guys like those Maladon was a pretty high draft pick, though. I don't I don't think he probably just wasn't willing. He was, to do he that. was at 30. He was a 35th pick. I mean, he, he could easily left him over for a year. Really? OK, I mean, I figured guys who are drafted that high in the second round are going to want to come. They, over they, pretty, they have they have they have no leverage because all they can do is sign a non-guaranteed tender. And if they are under contract, they can't get bought out of it to to sign the tender so the the team has a lot of leverage as long as they don't draft the guy in the top 30 yeah normally though if you if you draft a guy and you want to stash him you come to that you know that they're willing to do that before you draft him right i mean i we drafted Rade zagratz 35th overall and agreed to put him overseas for a year after the draft i mean it's not it's and that wasn't like a highly unusual thing yeah uh, although he was he was not projected to go that high right am i remembering that correctly he was projected to go in the 40s i think i mean yeah it, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like who the hell is this guy yeah i honestly i mean i know that pick didn't work out but i actually kind of liked this strategy i think like teams who just okay you know what fine we'll bring 17 guaranteed contracts to camp you know let's just get we, yeah we, guys we, into, yeah we tried that one too that didn't that didn't work as well yeah uh yeah dallas did that a couple years ago but i mean to just hey we're gonna guarantee your contract yeah you may not make the team but you'll get paid just to get more guys into camp and get your unit expand your universe of what the best 15 is going to be but yeah i mean so you know they drafted poku they're going to play poku you know he's been absolutely atrocious again so far you know trey man is going to get some minutes at at least he was drafted Mm -hmm. number 18 you're in you're in a rebuild maladon he's not so terrible i don't think but you know at least when you just watch him play he's not bad i mean their biggest problem power forward has been a like darius basely is just not really developed which is kind of a that's a little bit of a concern like he's going to need to hit some shots uh, or he's going to not be in their plans pretty quickly here yeah and the decision making isn't great either and then uh, I mean, Maladon, it hasn't always looked bad, but like statistically, he's been like the worst player in the league the last two years. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, no, that, how dare you take that honor away from Poku? <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where they are by the end of the year because, you know, Giddy looks like he's pretty good. Gilgis Alexander looks like he's pretty good. We know what Lou Dort is, although 
whether he's really going to make shots is going to remain an open question for a while um, here. Yeah, yeah. But they need some of these other guys need to start doing something to feel better about where they're at by the end of the year because those guys are all just not NBA ready players. I mean, they've got five guys in their rotation every night who are just not NBA players, and then even their starting group has no shooting, so that doesn't work either, right? So yeah, I think yeah. getting one guy who could shoot the ball, you know, and play like a stretch four would it would have made them a little more respectable okay now let's get into uh, a few of our questions here sorry for the false start on that let's uh let's start with with glenn simonson here glenn we missed you yesterday but hopefully you're going to be able to join us here glenn are you in if you want to unmute we will get your question okay sorry i think it took me a while to figure out how to unmute um there we go what's going on man how are you i'm doing great sorry for yesterday's uh, kerfuffle i got a phone call between uh when when I was asked for yesterday, uh, John, I've been a big fan of yours since the basketball prospectus days. Well, thank you, thank you. Wow, all right, old school. And, and I wanted to get your perspective on this Masai Ujiri Ed Rogers thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it just goes to show that within within every franchise, even the ones that appear on the outside to be stable and uh, well run and and are in fact well run, that th- there's there's always this sort of layer of uh, hashtag this league under the surface where just some of the some of the kind of cra- crazy stuff that that crops up in a in a business where the the owners are not subject matter experts in the business where they own the operation right and and so you you get a lot of this yeah for for me i think you know questioning paying him that you know 15 million per season and you know i can't remember whether the ownership stake was with them or he had an offer of an ownership stake with another team like that's fine you know but if you want to behind the scenes question that expenditure you know that's something especially when you're with a corporation you have a fiduciary duty to you know take care of the corporation's assets so go ahead and question you can even be against it don't fucking call the guy and tell him he's not worth the money i mean that's like (laughs) that's going above and beyond to sabotage it right that that's just as a minority owner i mean because i would assume he did that just hoping that messiah would be so pissed off that he would just leave and not accept their contract off yeah like i'm trying to imagine like as a, as a front office executive in a negotiation with an agent and then just calling a player and telling him he's not worth the money like <laughs> right like that is inconceivable that you would make that call yeah but this also uh, their minority ownership in the nba really sucks in a lot of ways uh you know and a lot of these guys like in memphis uh robert parrot uh, at least as of for a while didn't own even 50 percent of the team but he owned the largest percentage and he was the governor and vivac in sacramento he's the governor even though i think he owns like 35 percent of the team or so and you know this guy rogers went to the league and said hey like you know we want to prevent him from doing this and the league said no larry tannenbaum is the governor and he can do what he wants to and can give him this contract so and 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 it but it has to be that way because otherwise shit like this would get even worse yeah i mean i don't know if you remember back in the day the nets had an ownership group called the secaucus seven that basically had to do everything (laughs) by committee and it was it was a complete mess uh, cause they basically had to operate by consensus, but there was never a consensus with seven people. Yeah. So the, there has to be someone who makes the final decision. It's very smart of the league to set it up that way. I mean, you go back to the Lakers situation with Jim Buss and
and Jeannie Buss ultimately she was able to force him out because she was the governor that was the the agreement uh the Bucks have this thing where according to their partnership agreement every five years it switches off between their two owners who gets to be the governor uh which is which is fascinating but then you know some of the minority owners torpedoed the Justin Zanuck hiring and then they ended up with John Horace instead so this kind of stuff it, it just happens um and and uh you know it'd be nice if it was just one person owning the team uh on the other hand that maybe that one person might be robert sarver and you're stuck with that too so there's there's no (laughs) perfect answers but i think the league structure does about the best job as you can of managing these situations well my only uh okay thanks for that one glenn you you bet Good, good to have you on thanks for taking my call all right, let us get to uh, Resay. Uh, sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but you are in. I'm guessing that's not your real name, but let's see what you got to talk about here. Uh, you assume correctly. Thanks, Nate. Um, uh, nice, nice. You guys were kind of alluding at the fact that the Western Conference right now is basically a matchup battle, and or at least for the top seeds, who you think will come out of the West. And I think the mat, like just matchups in general, fascinate me. I definitely think the Warriors have a shot at coming out of there. Um, just because, again, they could play Utah and Steph Curry could go nuts for three, four games, and that that they win that way or whatever. So, I guess my question is: Who do you think has the most matchup advantages out of the contenders in the West? Is is Kawhi Leonard playing or not? Um, no, and by most, I just want to say I'm saying against the most teams, right? So if you think the Warriors have an advantage against the the Jazz and the Nuggets because of their trapping or whatever, or the um, or the Suns against the Nuggets or the Nuggets against the Clippers, that type of thing. Yeah, uh, I mean Phoenix made a pretty good case for themselves last postseason. Um, as the last Utah believer on the planet, uh, I also want to. Uh, at least think about them. Uh, you know, I, I think yeah. their perimeter injuries last year were a big problem. And I, I don't, I, and I also think like bringing in Rudy Gay is an underrated move for the postseason because you can play him as your backup five. San Antonio did that last year and you can, and you can match up against those small lineups and not have to bring in Derek Favors or now Hassan Whiteside. Like you do, you give your, they give, they've given themselves a lot more optionality this year with the lineups that they can play so I think because of that um I don't know I'm I'm still kind of partial to Utah um these some of these teams are going to change their colors a little bit by the time the playoffs roll around like I think the Lakers are still you know probably going to try to bring in another wing slash shooter you know depending on what they they have some injured guys who are still coming back too with Kendrick Nunn and Wayne Ellington so you know that's going to be interesting to see what that looks like and Phoenix, I mean, you think you could go small on them and maybe take advantage of Aiton, but we haven't really seen anyone do that yet. Um, yeah, my thoughts on that, I I think we're in disagreement on Utah. I think they have a lot of talent and they have a good system, and I they're my pick to get home court in the regular season. But I don't think Rudy Gay, you know, if Rudy Gay is out there instead of Derek Favors and they're blowing by someone at the point of attack, and now Rudy Gay is your rim protector, uh, you know, I don't I don't think that that helps you. Uh, as much 
much. Uh, but Utah, I mean, they have a lot of good players and they have a good system, but I wouldn't really give them the matchup advantage against hardly any team just because they, I don't think they have much scheme versatility on either end. And they're also, other than maybe Mitchell, they're not really a good ISO team if the other team is switching. So generally when I talk about matchup advantages, I want to see teams that have scheme versatility defensively. Uh, so I would say that's a healthy Clippers team. Uh, I would, and even an unhealthy Clippers team, frankly, like they may not have the talent, but I think their style of play is an advantage if they can go small with Morris at center. Uh, Golden State, I would say, obviously, is one of those. Um, and Phoenix, Aiton is going to play, but they still have good wing play. They got guards who can do something off the dribble as well. Like I, I think they've they've got they're not like conventionally able to switch everything but i think they can do some different things defensively they have the type of talent that you need defensively so they would be up there and i think the lakers too honestly if you go with if they get rid of this carmelo addiction and you go with ad at center and you've got ariza available and lebron in the front court and then russ and a shooter like they should actually have some pretty decent scheme versatility defensively also you know you wonder about russ's ability to be efficient in the playoffs and stuff like that but i i still think because anthony davis is when healthy is such a swiss army knife that if they deploy him correctly and get rid of some of the guys you know your deandre jordans and your mellows although i don't necessarily trust them to do that i think they do have the ability to get there in the playoffs so i still think that the lakers and the lakers have the ability to cause a lot of mismatch problems on the offensive end so i still think the lakers are my pick as of right now to come out of the west but you know lebron and has got to look a little bit better than he has and they got to figure out how to get russ in there so that's why i'm thinking it's wide open and that's why I give the Warriors a, a fighting chance still because I do think that they, you know, because they don't have the center out there that they like a Dallas with Porzingis or uh, the Nuggets with Jokic. So sorry for the long answer there, but, you know, we had to talk about a whole. No, conference, no those, so, uh, you, those, those it, answers were awesome. I think I, I just I think it's I think even the Lakers two years ago and obviously the Suns last year. Their matchup, malleability, versatility, whatever. I, I think that's what got them out of the West, and I think it'd be really cool to see more of that going forward. Okay, uh, let's get to another one here. Thanks for that, and let's get to Bill. Bill, you are on with us. How you doing? What do you got for us, Bill? I didn't hear. Uh, hello, I didn't hear you say my name yet. Um, I, another Dallas Mavericks question: um, If you guys could change the team trade wise. Um, Without, like, well, I mean, I guess with including Porzingis or without, um, to try to make it better, um, how would you go about it and who would you trade? I would trade Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was a low blow. Um, yeah, I thought that was a good trade for them, but Josh Richardson is uh, is pretty washed up. It looks like he's he's really falling off. He's not looked good for Boston so far. So I I think the move for Dallas is to do something with Dwight Powell and draft equity and get another creator to help out Luca. Like I just don't think Jalen Brunson is that guy who you who who can be like Luca's number two in terms of shot creation, and so. So like you're there, I think they're going to keep running into these scenarios where Luca looks amazing for three quarters and then runs out of gas in the fourth because they just put so much on him. And especially like, you know, relative to Carlisle, like Jason Kidd isn't drawing up stuff to get them free points either. So I, I just think it's going to get harder and harder for him. So trading their way out of that using future picks is and you know probably Josh Green I mean that's that that that's that's kind of their pathway and the question is who becomes available that is good enough 
to help them, but doesn't cost so much that Dallas can still be in the game for him. To me, they have two problems, both of which are very difficult to solve. One is that they need a second creator who's good. The second is that they don't have enough scheme versatility defensively. And even their nominal center right now, Porzingis, has had moments in his career where he's been a really good conventional rim protector and he's looked a little better this year, but you know, I, I, he can't really move out in space. And so, I mean, that's tough when you're like, hey, we need a second primary creator and we need to find a way to get more versatile and better defensively so we can actually have a prayer of stopping somebody in the playoffs that's a lot of stuff that you gotta figure out um what do you guys think of this trade i think this has been floated before but uh i think the mavs would probably have to give up a little bit more in this trade but maybe the the picks would be there i think this is a a deal that both teams might be interested in doing uh chris porzingis for pascal siakam wow um the one thing I would look at if I was Toronto is can Porzingis fit the way they like to play defense? Because, I mean, you talk you know, about I a think, team that I is like they, aggressive and pressing. Yeah. and uh, But, I mean, it's alluring because Toronto has the two forward spots covered and their centers are just a, a bagel right now. Like they're just getting nothing from yeah. those guys. So right. I, I do think it gets interesting for them that way. Um uh, and it's, I mean, it's basically the same money. So that's, that's a fun trade right there. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. What, what do you, uh, what do you think of that one, Bill? Uh, it's, it's a good trade. I mean, I don't know how it would work in Toronto. I guess you could j- just have him be like more of the drop back, like try to protect the rim while they're spacing out, like, you know, on the perimeter garden people. He's been it, it, with a extra level of protection with better defenders. I think it would help him out a lot, to be honest with you, because I feel like a lot of his defensive issues come from the fact that like people just blow, blow by everybody on Dallas. Like there's really not much resistance yeah. besides Dorian Finney Smith. There's really not much resistance, even though Luca's gotten, you know, somewhat better. They had Bullock, everything like that. That's very, you know, it's, it's encouraging, but the guy that you were talking about, this this defender that can score and possibly be a secondary creator, I thought that was Josh Richardson. I even thought they should trade for him before they made a trade, and it turned out to be the worst thing ever. So it's like, how can you even come yeah. up with something that works in this situation? And I, I agree, like, you know, trading draft capital would You'd have to do that. My whole thought was, I talked about this yesterday, uh, was maybe getting Drogic hopefully off of waivers, but if, or not off of like being, you know, he got cut or whatever, like, you know, so, but then I would also trade for him and hopefully he could play the secondary role. It's not going to fix the defense, but it'll definitely fix the, yeah. the stagnation. Hey, is he, is yeah. he better than Brunson at this point? Uh, yeah. You know, that was going to be my question too. Uh, I mean, maybe he gives you another guy, but yeah, Brunson's better than him defensively at this point. Uh, he's also someone who's playing 16 minutes a game on a Raptors team that desperately needs offense. That That's a little bit of a concern, <laughs> I would say too. But, but back to the Porzingis and, uh, and Siakam thing, here's my thinking on that. Um, you know, Toronto, a lot of what they've done has been pressure up a ton on the perimeter, force everything to the rim. And Porzingis, I think, can still protect the rim a little bit if he's in position. There's more athleticism around. So I think it would work okay defensively. He can't get out on the floor even the way someone like Gasol could, but they they got pretty good performance out of like Gasol and Ibaka, mostly have using them as rim protectors. And then on offense, you've got Barnes and Ananobi, who, you know, at your three and four, that's not amazing shooting. So now you can spread the floor for those 
those guys to go to work and attack the basket against smaller players. So I think it would be a good fit due to his injury issues. I think, you know, Dallas probably has to throw something in. And then for Dallas, Siakam gives them some more athleticism in the front court. Um, you know, it's too bad Maxi Kleba is another guy who's kind of fallen off a, a little bit because, you know, Kleba, the peak Kleba and Siakam in the front court would be pretty good. But, and then also, you know, Siakam can attack off the dribble, attack some smaller players. You know, give he's not going to like take too much away from Luka. You'd probably need to get a shooting center or play him as a small ball center. Um, so, like, it's not a perfect fit because he's not a shooter, but he at least gives you a secondary score that they haven't had. So, that was kind of my thought on that um you know we'll see uh, i i doubt that happens obviously but I, I think that would make some sense for both teams we'll see how they both start off this year with with, with cleaver I, I, with cleaver i think that uh covid really like messed him up last year i think like, he i think he'll come back to being uh, as good as he was maybe two years ago because he definitely did not play the way he played it, it, it definitely felt like it really affected him um, but with with Porzingis being on Toronto, he would also, I feel like, maybe get more of the offensive shine because he'd have a little bit more freedom to take shots with, like, I guess, his own way, the way he wants to. I mean, I, although he's still taking shots in, in, on the Mavericks, it's more of like he'd be more of like a focal point, whereas it's like he seems like he's almost like the third guy sometimes with when, when they have Hardaway going yeah yeah all right well let's uh let's get one more in here thanks for your thoughts bill appreciate thanks it thanks a lot and uh let's uh i'm actually gonna try and bring in someone that i have not talked to in a while that i recognize if i don't know if he wants to jump in here real quick but uh, hopefully well i'm not going to reveal his name i just sent him a, a speaker request uh if he but if he doesn't jump in we'll, we'll do one more instead uh all right no I don't, I don't think he wants to jump in that's all right it's uh probably not in a position to be on a podcast let's uh let's bring in a, a new one here uh vulture two five six five eight zero three three yeah you are uh you you are in vulture uh what do you got for us man or maybe not man. I, I figure vulture it's probably a man yeah sorry yeah it's it's kadar actually yeah real name <laughs> oh okay well kadar great yeah. uh how you doing Good, man how are you guys doing Good. Great. Good. Uh, we're running a little short on time, but uh, if you got a quick one for us, we can. Well, I was going to say, as a Raptors fan, there's no way I would do that Siakam for Porzingis deal. The guy just can't stay on the floor. Okay, <laughs> that would never happen. E- even even if uh, Dallas threw in something something else as well. Well, they would have to throw in at least a couple of picks, like and that would be the one way to move it. But I had a question about the uh, the Portland Trailblazers. I was okay. I was mm-hmm. watching them with the Clippers the other night. Like that was just really atrocious to watch. So I don't know what you guys have seen from them, but I like this whole idea of them blitzing, uh, blitzing the pick and roll is just not working. I know they beat the Phoenix Suns, uh, the game part of that, but what do you think of them right now? No, I don't know what you guys are seeing. They, yeah, I mean, they beat the tar out of Phoenix two nights earlier. Um, I, I watched them lose the opener to Sacramento, and that th- it was weird because they got beat in a different, completely different way that game, where it was just a hailstorm of Harrison Barnes wide open threes, and the the Clippers were just were just getting to the rim so easily on them. Um, you know, the the Blazers don't need to be awesome on defense; they just need to be non-atrocious. I mean, they're set up to beat you with their offense, right? 
And the thing that stood out to me from that game, A, I mean, Lillard can't make a jump shot right now, which you assume is going to fix itself. Um, but like Yusuf Nurkic and Robert Covington were both quite bad. Like anytime, anytime Nurkic got hit on the roll, he was either making a bad decision or bobbling the pass or, uh, you know, yeah. just, just he, not making the play. Um, yeah. I saw him in preseason against the Warriors. He had that same issue. And Co- Covington just, just didn't, didn't do anything. Now he's a secondary guy. He relies on other players a little more, but it was still, you know, it, it felt like he just wasn't there. Uh, so. I, I think that's that's the part you worry a little about with Portland. I mean, to me, they're like a second-tier West playoff team. Like, you know Lillard's just going to pull some wins out of his ass in games they don't deserve to win. Uh, but the rest of the team just isn't strong enough, I think, to get beyond like a 6-7 seed. Yeah, getting to what you were saying uh, on defense, Kadar, I it seems strange to say this because obviously they were so bad defensively last year, but I think with Nurkic in the game, this more aggressive pick-and-roll scheme is kind of uh fixing something that uh wasn't broken because when Nurkic was played last year they were a totally average defense and it was only when he was out and they had Cantor and Mello out there or when they had Hassan Whiteside the previous year that it didn't look as good and they've got Covington you know I'd like to see some Nance with the starters as well uh to see Nance and Covington together is a look I'd like to see I'd like to see some Nance at center as well they're not really surprisingly given the fact that they're trying to do this more aggressive scheme we're not seeing much of maybe he's kind of easing into the season or he's has well, some nagging injury which Co- often Cody, seems to be the case for him Cody Zeller but, got his first of several injuries uh the other night so Nance played some five in the second half we may see that a lot more these next couple of yeah. games if Zeller's out yeah no that's I mean and their backup front court is a concern but yeah you know I think like you were saying right like all they need to be is average on defense and yeah maybe when you go to a second group with Nance out there at center or Zeller is a little more mobile then maybe you could switch things up but yeah Yusuf Nurkic doesn't need to be 25 feet from the basket that's you know I I know they're trying to instill a little bit more of an aggressive culture and maybe like actually get a turnover or two uh, (laughs) which they haven't done much and they are running more which I think is one nice thing that I've appreciated but yeah I mean it's just that Sacramento game and then I watched the first half against the Clippers it was just way too easy yeah I mean it's just all right double team throw it to Zubats throws to the corner for a corner three wide open you know those sorts of plays over and over again it really looked bad that's how it was when I watched them in preseason against Phoenix too um obviously they got a corrected that was the one game I didn't see them was the game where they killed Phoenix so I may be judging them a little harshly but yeah right right now they're 16th in defense and 17th in offense I doubt they're going to stay 16th in defense with the kind of defense they're playing right now it's just it just didn't look it just didn't look right to me when man is doing step back threes against you it's like I don't even know what we're watching here yeah so we'll see I mean it's just it's early if this if they had this three game stretch in the middle of the season you wouldn't be going crazy I'm not really ready ready to change my expectations for them you know give it another couple of weeks and, and we'll see where the defense is and so thanks so much for joining us here we're gonna wrap this up and uh we'll be back uh, around the same time next week we'll talk to you all then